Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Um, those who don't know me, my name's Colin. I'm one of the senior leaders here at Sunny Hill. And uh, it's my pleasure to just bring the word to you this morning. But before I start to elaborate, I'm going to bring ideas that have been floating around um, from a conference I went to, uh, from summer camp, and from some of the stuff that Dom's been speaking about, and try and uh, put a different spin on it. Uh, But before I do, I thought we'd talk about a game, a favourite game of mine. Um, It's called... Stuck in the mud. Now, it's a classic game. Some of you may know this. Some of you might. So maybe I need to demonstrate what, what it's all about. So what I need is a few volunteers, maybe two or three volunteers. Oh, are you putting your hand up there? Is that, is that? Yes, yes, that's brilliant. Oh, come on forward. Come on forward. There we go. Uh, that's good. I need uh, someone else. Lewis, would you join us? Uh, and one other person, maybe a lady, uh, Tia. You love coming out the front, don't you? You shouldn't get to know me, you see. I might, might use you like this. Right, okay, so we've got three people. So Tia's on. Okay, you're going to be... Uh, this is a game of tag, essentially. Now, I warn you, don't run around too much because we haven't got a lot of room and there's a lot of equipment. But ultimately speaking, the idea is that everyone else runs around, so if you, well, yeah, you just move about a little bit, fake it a little bit, okay, so they're running around, and tears it, she goes, and she has to tag them, you see, Uh, and when she tags one of them, they have to stop where they are, okay, they're rooted to the point, they are stuck in the mud, Okay, so Tia, you carry on running around as if you're trying to chase everyone. Because her goal is to try and get everybody before they can do this. Because the person who is stuck in the mud can be released. But only if another player crawls through their legs. (laughs) So Lewis... Would you like to crawl through his leg? Oh, brilliant. He does such a good... And that means you're released. You can start running around and Tia's job is even harder. Thank you very much, guys. That's brilliant. (laughs) Stuck in the... As you can see, um, it can get a little bit silly and a little bit hilarious, particularly if the sizes don't work out so well. Um, But that is a wonderful game that I used to play in my primary school. Who else has played that game? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, loads of us. Brilliant. Okay, so you're all experts. So after church, we're going to go out into... (laughs) Okay, now, what I I want to introduce through that basically is a lot of us can feel a bit like that, a bit stuck in the mud. We're um, not able to move forward in life. And um, life hasn't quite turned out the way we hoped. It's um, something's happened, an un- unplanned event um, that has spoiled things slightly. Someone might have um, lost their job, or a relationship broke down, or um, health issues come along, and it wasn't planned for, it wasn't asked for. Um, even 
the worst thing is a loss of a loved one. That can happen, and it can knock us sideways. Um, now, these are the bad things that happen to us in life, and they can make us feel like we're walking through treacle at times, stuck in the mud, not able to move forward. And yet there are a lot of voices out there that say that if you're a Christian, then life is supposed to be different from that. It should be easy. It should be prosperous. It should be wonderful. There are leaders out there that beam their message around the world um, that God um, is just wanting to bless us and wanting to, he's got loads and loads of resources, so he wants to pour them all down on us. Normally, they talk about it in some sort of contractual method, in that if you pay them a certain amount of dollars, oh, no, that's no, maybe other things. But anyway, if you, you know, if you give, then God will give back. And, um, you know, in some ways, there is some truth in that. Um, God, is a God is a generous God. He wants to bless us. And he encourages us to be generous too and to give. Um, in my experience, I've not found it completely like a contract. If I pay 50 quid in, I get 500 quid out. It doesn't quite work like that in my experience. Maybe it's different for you. Um, but that is a message that we often hear. But the reality I find in life is that, okay, God wants to bless us. But in life, there are also still some pretty hard times. Hardship is, is part of life. Um, you get good times and you get bad times. Good seasons and bad seasons. In fact, when a young couple like JJ and Lydia the other, other week, um, a few weeks ago, they got married in Ferndown, um, they had to make marriage vows. And the marriage vow actually forces a young couple to face this reality in life. It says, will you love this person in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty? Because if you don't agree to that, you can't say, I do. Why do we force them to recognize that reality? Because hardship is facing it together is part of the package of a married life. There are going to be problems that come your way. Um, there are some ups and downs of a married life. And they can sometimes create unfortunate consequences. If you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, or, or don't do the right thing, let me tell you that sometimes bring consequences, okay? Obviously, I mean, my wife doesn't have this problem uh, because I always listen to what she has to say, don't I, Joe? Yeah? <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. Um, anyway, these are things that happen in a married life. Well, you have to face the difficult times. You have to face problems that come your way. And the reality is, sometimes in our lives... The problems are our own mistakes. We do something stupid, and we have to face those consequences. But on other times, the problems don't, aren't a result of what we do. They just happen in life, don't they? Bad times happen. 
I mean, crime, for instance. It's not like we go out asking for crime to happen to us. But sometimes that happens. My, my parents-in-law woke up one morning to find someone had broken into their house while they were asleep and nicked some stuff from downstairs. That happened to them. They didn't ask for it. They're, they're the most kindest people you'll probably meet in your lives. Totally undeserved. And yet it happened to them. It took them a while to recover from that. Wars happen in our world. We have the whole Ukraine-Russian war at the moment. If a power-hungry leader decides to make war on a neighboring nation, then they ultimately bring suffering to many, many people. Families on both sides of the conflict suffer because of the decisions that have been made for them. Being a Christian does not magically take away all the problems in your life. It can, however, help prevent some of them. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, the family that prays together stays together? Ultimately speaking, it's just a catchphrase to say, look, if you put some of these Christian principles into the bedrock of your family, like prayer, or just allowing God to be part of everyday life as a family, that has an impact. It creates a culture in your family life, in your married life. Um, spouses together or children to parents. It creates a relational culture because God is part of the equation. If you hold true to the teachings of Jesus, then perhaps you're more likely as a family to um, be kind when it's undeserved because your big brother or little sister has just done something that really, really irritates you. Anyone relate to that? No, don't put your hands back. Ultimately speaking, we can be kind when really we want to retaliate. Love is part of the equation, hopefully, of a Christian family. And ultimately, although my wife never has this problem, forgiveness is, you know, part of the equation that we can bring into the culture of our family life as Christians. What does that do? It creates, in many ways, a barrier to the enemy's attacks. Because all the enemy wants to do is spoil and corrupt things, particularly in the family home, relationships. And the culture that we develop can either draw a family together or, sadly, it can push it apart. So there are some things that being a Christian will help us in terms of staying off some of the bad stuff that we can encounter in life. Choices that we can make. If we're going to follow God, do it wholeheartedly. We talked about that this morning. Throw your lot in with God and follow him with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Go for it. But make that impact the rest of your life. Now, the Israelites in the Old Testament had many leaders. They had many kings, some good, some bad. 
Some chose to govern in the light of God's commands and some chose not to. There is a problem, though, in that era and that time and that place, which was that the nations around were always in conflict. Well, not always, but very often in conflict. War was always threatened. And a king's job, in many ways, was to protect his citizens. The Israelites had kings that either chose to do that with God's help or chose to turn their back on God. And that had consequences. It's recorded in the Old Testament that God didn't always come to the, his people's aid. Which sounds bizarre in a way, doesn't it? Surely God wants to always be on the side of his people. Yet it, it suggests that the war, the conflicts, sometimes were a, a punishment for walking away from God. God would often send messengers, like the prophet Jeremiah, to say, hold on guys, think about what you're doing, because there are going to be consequences. In Jeremiah 44, I think it will come up. Hopefully, there we go. Uh, it says this, I sent my servants, the prophets, to those people again and again. They spoke my message and said to the people, don't do this terrible thing. I hate for you to worship idols. But they didn't listen to the prophets or pay attention to them. They didn't stop doing wicked things. They didn't stop making sacrifices to other gods. So I showed my anger against them. I punished the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. My anger made Jerusalem and the towns of Judah the empty piles of stone they are today. In our modern world, that sounds quite shocking. That God, this loving God, would actually turn against his own people. Now, if his, the, the people turned back to God, that often ended the story quite differently. God would often send a hero to rally the troops and uh, win in the battles. But if they carried on turning their backs on God... There were consequences. They often lost a lot of the conflicts they got involved in because they didn't have God on their side. They had an on-off relationship. If you read through the scriptures, um, as the kings came and went, they seemed to blow hot and cold towards God. Until finally, the Babylonian Empire rose in the east and started conquering the whole region. They took country after country after country until finally the boundaries of the northern kingdom, Israel. And at that period of time, the people of God were in the off season with the Almighty and so didn't call on him and they were conquered. And although it took a little bit longer, the southern kingdom, Judah, they eventually fell as well. And the Babylonians took over the whole nation. Now, the Babylonians had a, a very interesting technique to um, conquer a land. When they militarily conquered it, they then took every leader, every educated person, every skilled craftsman, 
and shipped them, lock, stock, and barrel, out of the country. They marched them away, which is a very clever strategy because that meant that there was utterly no hope for that nation to raise up, rise up, and, and revolt. They cut off the leadership, anyone who could be a leader, anyone who could produce something, um, resistance. They took away. But it kept all that human resources to use in other parts of the kingdom, of the empire. It, in many ways, it, it echoes a little bit the original story of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God and with the land until sin breaks the covenant with God and they are exiled from the Garden of Eden. And the world, what we know of it, comes under different management. Sin broke that covenant and the result was life was much harder. In exile, that's what the Bible calls it, the exile from the garden, the exile from the promised land, mirror each other in many ways. Now, when you've been exiled from paradise, things do get tougher. The fruit just doesn't grow on the trees in the same way. You have to work to produce. And when resources are limited, competition occurs and conflict follows shortly afterwards. Ever since we lost our place in the Garden of Eden, generation after generation after generation, there's this little small voice inside us saying, we were meant for something more than this. I don't know if you recognize that in yourself. Sometimes you, you felt like you're made for something better. You have a sense of unfulfilled purpose in your life. Or you've... Um, you're yearning for something or some place that you don't live in or a circumstance you don't enjoy. Something has been taken from us fundamentally or rather we've been stolen from the place we're supposed to be. And we feel quite lost by that Experience And many of us come to Christ because of that feeling of being lost. And we find ourselves in Christ, which is brilliant. But the whole human condition often feels like we're a bit lost. And we need rescuing. We need a saviour. We need someone to tell us how to deal with this ache inside of us. And there are lots of voices in this world that will gladly tell you what to do with the void inside, with this ache. The Israelites, while they're in exile, had a lot of voices that were crying out to them things that they wanted to hear. You see, we don't like hardship, do we? 
We like the easy life, the comfortable life. It just feels fundamentally wrong to be going through hardship. I mean, God loves us, doesn't he? Surely, if he loves us, logically speaking, he would want to remove hardship from our life. But he doesn't always seem to do that. In Jeremiah 29, verse 8, it says this, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Jeremiah warns the people not to cling on to false hopes. In fact, he does the complete opposite God tells him to tell the people in Jeremiah 29.5, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Praise the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Quite a strange statement to be telling his people. It's okay, you're meant to be there. Hang in there, grow, develop, um, use your time wisely while you're going through this season of hardship. Work for your enemies. That doesn't seem to make sense at all. Now we can understand why they longed for their homeland again. I mean, just the Ukrainian war, we've seen um, refugees flood Europe. And they've all got these mixed emotions. They're, They're happy that they've left the conflict behind, but they're yearning to return to their homeland. When difficult times come our way, we can see the past as a very rosy place to be. When it was comfortable, when circumstances were better, wouldn't it be great if church was like it used to be, or my marriage was like it used to be, or my family was like it used to be, or my job was like it used to be? We look back and say, if only... It's tempting to do that. But what do you do when you're in that season of hardship? Well, the Bible is very helpful. It talks about a lot about hope. And if we go to uh, Psalm 92, it reads this. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. This psalm reminds us that the way you approach things, the way you approach life, will have an impact spiritually. We can spiritually flourish as long as we are in the house of the Lord. As long as our roots go into the courts of our God, then whatever the circumstances, we can still flourish. God has a 
uh, a knack of turning problems into opportunities if we let him. If we feed on the spirit rather than the, the circumstances we're in, that will have an impact on us. It will strengthen us and it will please God. The best example, oh, one of the best examples at least in the Bible, is the story of Joseph in Genesis. He talks about how his life, and it records it in many chapters, he was born of a big family with many brothers, but he was particularly unpopular, probably because of the annoying dreams he had. And eventually the brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up a slave in Egypt, put, in, <coughs> put to work in a household. Joseph could have been bitter. He could have resented and resisted, but he chose to be faithful to God and just work hard and honor him in whatever he did. And so, actually, he was given more and more responsibility until he was accused of a crime he didn't commit and then ended up in prison, in a dungeon. He could have been bitter. He could have given up on God, but he chose to stay faithful despite the circumstances, despite the season that he was in, and he worked hard. He honoured his jailers, and they respected him, gave him more and more authority. Instead of being irritated with people, he chose to help people. He helped a couple of Pharaoh's servants when they came into the dungeon with him. He interpreted their dreams with the help of God. And that finally brought him to the attention of Pharaoh, who had a dream that needed interpreting. And Joseph, if you read the whole story, becomes second in charge of Egypt. That's quite a meteoric rise from the dungeon that he was in, from the slavery that he was sold into. How did that happen? I think God had a plan for him. Now, eventually, he, uh, he met up with his family again. They came to Egypt because there was famine in the land. They needed food. And he finally met up with his brothers. Now, he could have chosen to be bitter. He could have chosen to get revenge. But actually, he seems to have a bigger picture by this time. And in Genesis 50, it says this. You intended me harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of our life, of many lives. Thank you. Approaching our circumstances... Having the right attitude in any situation affects our ability to flourish as Christians. C.S. Lewis, a famous uh, writer, wrote the series of Narnia. He said this, If you think of this world as a place simply intended for our happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place for training and correction, and it's not so bad. 
God has the power to move in any situation we're in. But if Joseph's life teaches us anything, it's that he doesn't necessarily remove the obstacles and difficulties. He uses the challenges in our life to hone our character. We have to remember that sometimes there's a bigger picture to our problems. We need an eternal perspective, God's view on things. And that can perhaps change our approach to how we handle life, how we handle relationships. There's a, a story of a great architect who goes out into the, his workplace and there's loads of workers building. And he approaches one of them and says, tell me, what are you doing today? And the guy says, well, I'm a bricklayer and I'm here working so I can earn enough to feed my family. He goes, oh, thank you very much. And then he goes to another one and says, what are you doing today? Tell me about it. And the guy says, well, I'm a builder and I'm here to build a wall. Oh, great, thank you very much. And then he goes to a third one, and the third one says, well, I'm a cathedral maker, and I'm here building a cathedral to the glory of God. All of them were doing exactly the same job. But they all have very different attitudes to it. One just saw it as a means to an end, to feed his family. Another saw it as a career that he had chosen to take up. But the third one saw it as a calling from God to make something special for him. In Colossians 20, it says this, Whatever you do, work at it with your, all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Every Christian has an option to turn their job into a calling. If only we have an eternal perspective on it. If we go the extra mile, the company will prosper. And by as a result, everyone will prosper. But we need to ask ourselves questions like, how can we represent Christ in a, a dark place? Who can we bring the light of Jesus to when they're in problems themselves? How can we be there for others, colleagues, when they need a helping hand? The harder we work... Potentially, the more respect we get. And the greater the platform we have to speak about our faith and our values as a Christian. Now, some of us don't have that option. We don't have a job. Um, others, in other areas, health may have failed you, um, or you might not have the relationship you wanted. These are really difficult things to handle and work through how you're going to be a Christian in those circumstances. 
Does it free you up to do something that everyone else can't do? Can you represent God in a different situation or a group of people that everyone who's okay, so-called normal, can't do? If we're not careful, though, the circumstances we are in will affect us in a downward spiral. And that happens to the best Christians and the worst Christians. We're all affected by the world around us, emotionally speaking, physically speaking. We have to handle it. We have to deal with it. It's sometimes a real struggle. I I have to confess... In the last two years, I've had a real struggle. Many of you know that um, work has not been good in my situation. COVID wasn't kind to me. I lost my um, employed job in the process of doing that. Um, And then when I went self-employed as a mortgage advisor, the only work I could get was the work every other advisor didn't want to do with difficult clients. And so I didn't earn a lot from it. And then finally, the interest rates went sky high few months back, and the business that I'd been building up was decimated overnight. So this year has been tough, and I've been on a bit of an emotional downward spiral, I can confess to you. My confidence was lost. I started asking questions about, well, is this it? Is my career over? What, will I ever work again? And many of us go through what um, one phrase in the Bible calls the valley of tears. And you, you can probably um, confirm this in your own life, in your own situations. Psalm 84 talks about the pilgrims as they travel, as they pass through the valley of tears, or Baca in some translations, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Have you felt like you're going through a valley of tears? Have you felt lost? Have you felt like you don't know how to handle the situation? Do doubts creep in to your life? They certainly have in mine. Is your spirit dulled by your circumstances? Has your edge been blunted? Now, bad choices affected King David. Um, in 2 Samuel 24 it records how he made just a what would appear to be a straightforward kingly decision and then he thought about it 2 Samuel 24 10 says but after he had taken the census David's conscience began to bother him and he said to the Lord what I did was wrong Please forgive this foolish wickedness of mine. David had had done some pretty stupid things in his life, and this was the latest. Um, Administrative error, maybe. But he felt it was breaking that relationship he had with God. And the key thing when you're going through a tough season is to maintain that relationship with God. And if it is broken, reconnect it. And if you read that passage in Samuel, you'll see that David is challenged to go and build an altar. 
so that he can reconnect with God. He can give his life back to God and say, I'm sorry, this is me. I make mistakes. I am so sorry, Lord. But everything I am, all my mistakes, all the errors that are in me, all the problems that I face, I'm just yours. Reconnect with your Father God. Dom spoke recently about the fact that he saw this as a season for God to um, sharpen our cutting edge again. Do you feel, like me at times, you've been dulled by life's experience? I went to um, the leadership conference recently, and I wasn't in a good place particularly. I didn't expect much of it. Um, I felt a bit like life was hard work, particularly um, financially speaking. Um, Everyone else was making progress, and uh, I was stuck in the mud. Um, Nothing I did seemed to work. I couldn't change the situation, so so really nothing mattered. I didn't matter. You know, that's the way your brain starts working. I was stuck there. And yet God spoke to me very clearly at this conference through the teaching. And there was one particular speaker that that just spoke this phrase, it matters. And it was like, bang, hit me in the face. It was was quite a, a, um, a powerful message from God for me. And it was basically saying this. God was saying, no, it does matter to him. You matter to him. What you do and how you react to your situations matters to God. So how do we cope with downtimes? Seasons that are not um, great. Seasons of hardship. How do you cope with that? Well, the first thing is we acknowledge our need for God. We turn back to him if we need to. He is, after all, the only voice that really matters. We hang out with his friends. We come to church. That's always a good thing. Because they're going to provide us with a bit of comfort and inspire us to carry on. We need to feed our soul with the good stuff. Biblical knowledge and and, uh, studies and quiet times and teaching sessions. This is helpful. This feeds our soul in the right way. Don't look for other things to fill that void, but allow the Spirit to fill it for us. And we should never give up on worshipping God, even when we don't feel like it. We can come to church in a mood. Life is horrible. I won't swear. (laughs) Life is horrible. And yet, God is still God. He's worthy of our praise. And there's something that happens when you come into the house of God and worship despite your circumstances. It's like a sacrifice to God. He loves that. It's something that that really cheers him up in a way that nothing else does. That you would put him above your circumstances and worship him despite them. 
Bad seasons always come. But a bigger perspective realizes that the seasons come and the seasons go. So hang on to your faith while you're going through the bad season. Hang out with God's people, the church, because they reflect his character. You can see God in other people's lives. And they will help you through the tough times. There's nothing that the enemy likes more than to isolate you when you're feeling bad. I don't feel up to coming to small group. I don't feel up to coming to church. It's just the perfect remedy for the enemy. Because in isolation, we can't get the help we need. I always think that one of the signs of a mature Christian is that they've been through some pretty tough seasons in their life and lived to tell the tale about it and how God has helped them through it. God is someone who can turn a problem into an opportunity. He can turn a curse into a blessing for others. No matter what life has dished out to you, God can still use you to impact other people. Now that is kingdom-mindedness. To realize that life isn't always going to be easy, but I'm still going to be useful to God. We can be church attenders. We can come here on Sunday and just fill a seat. Or we can be kingdom builders and say, this is where I refuel to go out there and make a difference in this world. The choice is ours. Do you want to be working for God's kingdom or working for your own kingdom? Are you going to focus on the problems or are you going to focus on the solution? Jesus. It's something that I'm still struggling and learning. I'm not saying I've got all the answers. But I think together we can learn from each other, listen to each other's testimonies. We sung about testimony today. Our stories help each other. So let's listen to each other. Let's support each other. Let's realize that even when someone's going through a hard time, God is not far away. He's just using it to hone our character and be a blessing to someone else.